Hi, Rebecca. It's Beatrice. Hello, Beatrice. It's Rebecca. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. I'm I'm layered up. You layered up. I layered, not lay. <laughs> layered because it's cold. Yes, it and is. The only way to survive is with layers. But I have I have a few things to say about layers. Okay, please because, do. Okay, here we go. The first one is that I've been experiencing inter interlayer frictions oh. where where I've been wearing so many layers that some of them kind of have a fight with each other because of the fabric. Interesting. And, and so I had like a heat tech t-shirt, which you know I swear by yeah. and wear from September to April. So I had that. Then I had a cotton t-shirt mm-hmm. and then I had my sweater. And the cotton t-shirt did not get on with being in between those two. And so it was riding up and the others were staying in place. So I had like a weird rut Oh, that was not good. Riding but up it, is I, such an, that, it's an issue. It's, it's an issue, a serious issue. Mm. Uh, but it was also making me think that I need to think more about fabrics that are happy to sit next to each other. Yeah, but I, I wonder, I wouldn't really know how... You know, is there a, is there a book know. about that? I don't know. There should be a book. There should mm. be a, an app mm. where you can yes. say, well, this and this and this. Yeah. Be happy together. Or am I going to spend the whole day pulling my T-shirt down? Yeah. Oh, that's so annoying when that happens. I know. And I think somebody needs to make that app. Yes. Now. Mm-hmm. Then I was also thinking about layers because I really love those kind of early 19th century portraits of men where they are wearing several waistcoats for warmth yes. and you can just see the edge mm. of the different colors yeah I and like that's that. very beautiful mm. so i like that so were you then trying that... to replicate that or well no i wasn't mm. but then but then the thing i do really like is two scarves ah. and i met up with lovely makita matheson who you know who who has beautiful cashmere line mm. and she had two scarves and i was very pleased because i'm a big proponent of two scarves so you have your silk scarf that's your day wear scarf and then you have your bigger scarf that's for over your coat but then if it's cold indoors you've got two things going on that can be interesting i've never tried you can to think scarf. about colors and patterns and textures together that's amazing. I've never tried two scarves ever. It's so good. Oh, I must do that. I don't have a you silk must do scarf. It. I must get one. Well, it doesn't have to be silk, but mm-hmm. but remember the frictional layering yes. laws that we're starting to realize occur. Because I have also done it with like two cashmere scarves when it's really freezing. But it's just fun because you can like during the day you can change around and tie them differently and it's fun. Oh, that sounds really good. And it okay. it there is a possibility or potential for color there because I that's something I'm not one for new year's resolutions much but I think I want more color in my wardrobe lovely that's a nice thought yeah and I I know I'm the one responsible for not there not being much color but somehow (laughs) somehow, you have lovely colored sneakers I do that's true but I'd like it to go slightly above my feet Oh, just slide. Well, there you go. I can start with socks, I guess. Yeah, start with socks, work Mm. your way up, and then get into double scarfing. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. And then my final point, well, it might not be my final point, <laughs> but my final point for today yeah. on layers is I also, you know, there's that Balenciaga coat that's like huge and looks like the person's wearing 50 different Parker jackets together. The new one. Yeah. That Marc Jacobs also bought. Yes, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And I love the pictures of Marc Jacobs wearing yes. it. It's the one that looks like Joey and Friends when he put all of Chandler's clothes on. Yes. Mm. It's exactly that. And there's also, you know Neville Jacobs, Mark's dog? No, I didn't oh know. Oh my goodness, you need to follow Neville Jacobs because he's, he's amazing. And he's most of the time he's asleep. <laughs> he's the most mellow dog ever. There's like He's got two friends he hangs around with and they'll be like, jollying around doing stuff and Neville's just doing his own thing very quietly and slowly but there's a picture that Mark Jacobs well I'm assuming Mark Jacobs posts Neville Jacobs posts maybe Neville does it himself I don't know Mm -hmm. but there's a very good picture of him wearing the Balenciaga multi really yeah it's really sweet so you must look at that oh I must yeah that sounds good yeah so anyway layers love them but we need the app on yeah. what goes together. So someone hopefully will pick that up. I really wish they would. Mm. I really wish they would. But have you been thinking of anything other than layers? Uh, yes, I've last week on Monday I gave a talk to the Friends of the Museum of London. And mm. I talked about Victor Stiebel. Oh, surprise, lovely. surprise. And what was interesting, at the end I talked a little bit about why he might not be as well known as some of his contemporaries mm. and generally maybe why some designers are you know more well known now than others and it was yeah. really interesting that they really picked up on that and they wanted to discuss this for a while they didn't just want oh, to discuss anything else so i thought oh, that was really interesting that they really went for that and yes. um so i had I had some theories about that, so I thought you either have to invent something, right, or you have to live a long time. Living a long time and giving a lot of interviews, I think, is important. Yeah, and um, I I know that's a bit nerdy, but I looked at how long some of the I was just sort of looking at English couturiers, not really mm. at other ones so much. Uh, so Hartnell, he worked for 56 years, Amos for wow. 46, Stiebel for 31, which is sort of comparatively short. Yes. Um, he was also younger than the others when, when he died. So, or the other thing I saw, what, which helps, is you write an autobiography. Yes. I think that's quite important as well. Addressing famous people. Yes, exactly. I hadn't, stupidly hadn't thought of that, but here in England, I guess, if you have made clothes for the royal family, yeah, that means you won't be forgotten. Then you'll get referenced yes. on picture credits and stuff. Yeah. I also wondered then afterwards, you know, in my view, Hartnell and Amos are more well-known than Stiebel, but maybe mm. generally for people who are not that into fashion and history maybe that's not the case maybe all of them are not really you know well known anymore I don't I know I mean I think Hardy Amos was such a good self-publicist yes I think his name is known and I think I don't think in the general population probably none of them are mm. but maybe Amos most do you think yeah I guess also and like maybe with older people Hartnell because of the royal connection yeah I guess Amos maybe more for his pronounced 
investments on menswear. That's what I was thinking. Mm. But I do think, because it's like, obviously, the love of my life, Madeleine Vion, yes. she's not well known outside. No. Fashion, nerds, what, Phil. And she didn't, she barely gave any interviews. And she shut her house pre-war. Mm-hmm. So it's like she was huge yes. at the time. But then completely stopped. And then I guess, yeah, so I do think longevity. And also, like, people like Chanel managed to completely reinvent themselves. And somehow, I don't know why, don't know how, managed to erase virtually. Well, not erase, but, like, somehow cover up her whole terrible anti-Semitic actions and wartime activities. And yet she managed to reinvent herself. Yes. And it was like she then claimed she she led the world. Yeah, it was quite... When I was thinking about who wrote autobiographies, I thought, well, she mm. she um, cleverly didn't write one because that would have been difficult. Yeah. But then she was also... Because I was, I was, when you were talking, I was thinking as well, it's about, like, I don't know what you call it, like networks of influence or something, isn't it? It's like if you know the right people... By right, I mean the ones who who are writing in newspapers and magazines, the ones who write biographies, the ones who photograph. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Do you think, like, with Stiebel, you know, obviously he's in British magazines a lot during his career. Was he in international magazines? I don't know. Well, he was actually, I think with him, one of the main things is the war, and he didn't have his own house afterwards. Apart from um, a very short period, so he worked for Jacques Ma after right. the war. Oh, so it was Vic, Victor Stiebel at Jacques Ma, and then they fell out, I think, and he had his own house for a bit. But he was ill, so he, you know, stopped quite a bit before before he died because he just couldn't do it anymore. And so he, I think that was is one issue. But before the war, he gets a lot of publicity, and he's actually really good at it. And he goes to America. He goes to, on a tour. Wow taking models with him apparently so uh, he goes to New York he goes to Hollywood you know he makes he makes clothes for Marlene Dietrich for Anna May Wong oh, wow. so before the war I think he is in papers a lot and mm. not I think not just in England I mean he, he has whole if I remember correctly some of his press books are just just about his US footage uh, or yeah, um, yes. press clippings but then after and the war... It, sorry, can I just ask, yeah. is it the Americans writing about him in America yes. or the British? Yes, no, so it that's is, good. Yeah, I think good. I'm pretty sure. And I I think he did, you know, he did a lot of radio as well. So he was actually really quite good. And he was yeah. in, involved in a lot of competitions, you know, when, when say, the Daily Mail or one of, one, one of those yeah. papers did a competition where you had to send in a design for something. He was often in the jury... So I I think he was quite well known before the war, but then after the war, he would have been well known here, but I think not so much yeah. anywhere else. And then he did make some clothes for Princess Margaret, but I never for the Queen, as far as I know. So um, and some others. So have, it's as though he lost momentum. I think so. I I'm still not entirely sure, but I I I do think with him, if he had had his own house after the war. Mm. Maybe maybe it would have been different. It's really hard to know, isn't it? Yes. And it could because because honestly, I think he's a more interesting designer than Hartnell or Amos. 
Yeah, I don't know. I I looked. Someone came to look at our heart nails, and we looked specifically at the early ones. And some of them are actually quite. They are very different from what you think of when you think of the Queen's clothes. He mm. obviously could do other things. Yes. They're just not so much. You know, one doesn't think about them so much. So, but I think Stiebel. I mean, he did these beautiful. He was very good. He did this beautiful advertisement when he started off in Vogue um, with Lee Miller. Some of them, and they're wow. they're re and he actually is mentioned in an advertising advertising weekly or something because they're they're yes. so good. With really good photographers, so he was actually really innovative, and he used artificial fabric uh which i think was quite innovative at the time so he i think before the war he's got he does a lot and I, uh, he apparently in his application for get go to the military at, during the war he says he employs 200 people so he, wow that's a big house yeah it is quite a big house and he did, did quite a lot for theater but then all of them did um hartnell in particular as well yes so i i don't know but then also i'm you know, I recently mentioned to someone who's not, you know, interested in fashion history that much mm. or at all. I mentioned Mary Quant and they were in their 30s and they'd never heard heard of her. It's funny, isn't it? It's like we live in such a bubble yes. of fashion, fashion that I guess, there's, you know, you sort of think of her as super famous because, again, she eclipses other people who were equally oh, famous definitely. in the 60s. But I guess that is fading. Yes. I mean, I guess with her, it's again, she wrote an autobiography quite yeah. early on. And then, yeah, I mean, so many other things. She was really very good, or her husband, really good at publicity. And, and I mean, do you think where people have their archives or if they leave an archive makes any difference? That's a good point. I also was wondering about exhibitions. You know fashion exhibitions how much they play a part and but Hartnell and did have some exhibitions and then there was the Hartnell Amis one at the fashion gallery but you know it's not not like one of the massive ones like McQueen or something like that it's quite a different thing. Well, I suppose it's also whether it's like timing isn't it because it might be that if you do an exhibition on someone at one point it will you know reasonably popular but nothing else but if then you did it like three years later it might spark with something that's going on in fashion at the time yeah, and suddenly true. it resonates more because mm. I think there are designers who you look at and you think they're so amazing but they're so fixed in a particular moment that that they don't sort of translate for people who aren't obsessed with fashion perhaps that's a really good point I think like with v &A, I think you can. That does translate well. Yes. I think also she was copied by so many people mm. that people, you know, like I'll have people say to me, oh, I thought that was what Galliano invented. And I'm like, no, that was what Vionne invented. Yeah. And Galliano really, I mean, really brilliantly, but was inspired by and like Calvin Klein. And like so many people were inspired by or continue to be inspired by Vionne that it's almost like, that's kind of diluted her as the source almost because people don't realize and associate that star with other periods and other people maybe yeah that's another good point because mm. 
Because even, like, I think Ozzy Clark's an interesting British example because he had a real comeback moment, didn't he, where he had the exhibition at the V&A and it was, like, early on when Christie's in London was having street-style sales and starting to sell what was previously, like, vintage shop stuff Mm -hmm. was being auctioned and things. And it... But I don't... But I think it, it hasn't maintained. No, I think, yeah, his diaries were brought out. I guess that helped. Um, but and then... Celia Birtwell, I mean, she worked at St. Martin's when I was there. Oh, really? And, you know, she's continued to do sort of, I, I remember she did a collection of her. Top Shop, yeah. Top Shop. But, I, you know, I think it, it's, because he's another one, it made me think because he's really influenced by Vionnet. But, um, yeah, because I, I think it's funny because it did seem like it sparked real interest, but it was almost like it got wrapped into a trend. True. and became a trend mm. and then hasn't continued but then I suppose it's like what do we expect it can't be that everyone's written about and in the public eye continuously all the time I mean not all contemporary designers are, are you know continually thought about are they that's true yeah you know because I think I think sometimes people like as a you know as a historian being serious for a moment it's like it's very frustrating how there's so much focus on the Second World War and, and Nazis. And you kind of think there are other things within the Second World War we need to write about. And mm-hmm. then there's, I mean, in the popular sphere, not in professional history circles. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's always people working on less well-known and more obscure things. But for the general public, it's very different and there can be so so many different reasons why a historian chooses to write about one thing rather than another and often it's very personal and I think it's also you know probably a real root issue here is getting more diversity within fashion historians who are predominantly white middle-class women Mm. you need more diversity in fashion history to diversify what's being written about I mean I think it's it's changing and there are really important books being written and really important thoughts being thought. But I think in terms of individual designers, you're just never going to get everyone written about. And also do we need everyone written about as an individual? You know, often I think it's more interesting to think about a particular way of designing or a particular period in context, because I think a kind of hagiography or like canon of we must study these designers is not what we want to build, really. Mm. You know, and I think it's quite refreshing. There isn't a canon, particularly. Yeah, and I think in fashion history. Like I said earlier, it's often this idea that there were all these inventions, like Poirier mm. gives up the corset, and then yes. Dior. Although that was, I think that really is one quite yes um, important moment. Well, it's like an important moment, and he crystallized the moment and he crystallized what a lot of people had kind of suggested already and he did it in the kind of ultimate version but also he was you know going back to the idea of like networks of influencers he was connected to networks of influencers Mm. who really promoted his work and really wanted haute couture and french fashion to come to revive Mm. and Um, i guess i wonder how much there is in just language you know that it was given a yes, name and with that's true with Yves Saint Laurent you know the the smoking yeah and the miniskirt it's not a name really but 
Um, yeah, but, but still, it's like associated with an easily identifiable garment or, or concept or, or yes. Yeah. Mm. And yeah. if you don't have that, you could still be a really good designer and consi yeah. consistently have produced good work. But it's like V V and A. Okay, it's you could say it's the cap, but it's that's it's much, it's quite a complex thing. It is, and I think, as I say, too many people have copied her or been influenced or inspired by her since, so people don't always go back to the origins, even though, for me, she is the most important person ever. Yeah. <laughs> But I think it's also easy, if you're obsessed with a particular designer or whatever, to think everyone else should be Yes. Mm. as well. And I recognize that not everyone in the else, you know, maybe half the world should be. Yeah. But I, I think you're right about, I really like, I think it's interesting to, which has happened a bit with some people, like with Fole and Tuffin and some of the people mm. from the 60s is trying to, it's a really, what I'm trying to say is it's a really hard thing to do, to tell the story of how well people were known in the past at a certain point. Yes, that it's, it's just true. almost impossible to transmit in a way. Mm. Um And I guess almost always sounds a bit defensive or... Yeah, know, it's like very it's... easy to become defensive, which is not good in history, I no. think. And I, I think it's also, you know, there's just continual editing. And again, you know, back to like who has the influence and who has the connections. You know, if you think of like fashion magazines, a fashion editor or even a blogger, their entire job is to edit what they see and pick and choose. Mm. So... It's like it's continually being filtered. Yeah. Which people are, are you know, featured and which people aren't featured or which people just get one little runway shot and which people get a whole feature and editorial mm. on them. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes that's down to them knowing people at a magazine or knowing a blogger or having a really good pushy PR. Mm, true. Yeah. No, but it is true. I think there's a lot more subjectivity and, and kind of direct influence than, than is really, you know, it's like it's known, but it's not known. Yeah. It's kind of ignored to quite a large extent how much that goes on. True. Um, and I think within history, hopefully there isn't so much that, but I think sometimes publishers, you know, publishers don't think the books will sell and maybe they won't. You know, it's all very well us saying Victor Stiebel's marvelous but you know a book on Dior will sell mm. Mm. 500 times more so yeah. the Dior book will get published and well, will get commissioned mm. even before you even get to publication stage yeah that's true um so I feel like I'm being a real downer on all this no 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 I think it's I think it's not not a downer it's just being realistic yeah I think there's real kind of commercial reasons and I mean what I wish is that not all publishers, but some publishers and some museums would kind of think, okay, we have to do the big names. I mean, honestly, I don't know, as I say, that I really like individual name exhibitions and books as my favorite genre of looking at history because it seems a bit like a kind of revival of, as I say, like a canon rather than yeah. thinking about history as a messy, complex thing. But that I sort of think they should think, okay, these are the things that will bring us money in, and that means we can do the more interesting, or not more interesting, but we can do kind of more obscure things paid for by the Dior exhibition or mm. whatever. It and used I think to be like more like that. Thing. 
Yeah, it did. And I think it, it's like that's what we need is, is more commitment from the public, no, not publishing, like the PR departments in places and understanding that those things need to be studied or written about or shown too. And I guess maybe one good thing about, well, m- many good things maybe, but about this hunger of the digital media for mm. stuff all the time that might help. Yeah, um, I think so. Mm. I mean, I think it's it's like you do you do continually kind of learn about, you know, not just individual designers, but photographers, people from behind the scenes in fashion, from, from Models, following people on yeah. Instagram. Yeah, mm. but and like hairstylists, makeup artists, yeah. you know, that, that kind of round. And, and in a way, I'd be more concerned for that to be studied more. True. You know, I think there certainly are individual designers who deserve you know there always are who deserve more coverage in whatever context but I think it's also not just wanting history to be linear and based on individuals Mm. but seeing it as something kind of richer and more complex yeah well that's a good note to end on I think yes so be careful of your layering yes colorful double scarfing yes and, and complex history. Complex history. Okay. My goodness. Marvellous. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'll see you soon. Yeah. See you soon. Bye. Bye.